message today called From Humble to Proud, The Destruction of Saul. This is about King Saul in the Old Testament. So let me pray real quick. Dear God, uh, we thank you that we can come and worship you, Lord. We thank you for your word that's perfect, Lord. And I'm uh, far from perfect, Lord God. So please keep me from error today, Lord. And just bless this, Lord, and let's uh, get something out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today's message, we're going to look at King Saul's life from the Old Testament. We're probably all familiar with, uh, with the story. And we're going to make some applications that we can use in our own lives. And uh, the purpose of this message is not to be overly critical or negative. So there are some negative things, obviously, in, in Saul's life. Uh, but the goal is to encourage us all in our walks with our Lord. And perhaps we can also learn how to help others that we know that are backslidden or in error. Um, the two verses that we use to get this set up, both contain parts of conversations that Samuel had with Saul at very different points in Saul's life. So first at the beginning of Saul's story, 1 Samuel 10, verses 5 to 7. The Bible says, After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery, and a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Then later on, um, turn over to 1 Samuel 13. This is later on in Saul's reign. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So we can see we have two completely opposite ends of the spectrum here. Saul started out with so much promise, and we're going to look at those things um, here shortly. And he was fired up and uh, seeking the Lord. But later he comes up short and is told his kingdom should not continue. The parallel for us is our walk with the Lord after salvation and our standing at the judgment seat of Christ. All right, so just, I think we all know the story, but just a little bit of background about Saul. So Saul was the first king of Israel. The people had rejected God and decided they wanted to go the way of the world and have an earthly king. And the Bible talks about Saul being from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe of Israel. And he did some good things, particularly at the beginning, and he did a lot of sinful things. Like persecuting David, making foolish decisions, and generally going against what God had commanded. So we're obviously simplifying things a bit, but when I was reading through it, it uh, kind of broke down into four general phases of his life. So the first phase, things are going well, he's right with God, getting things accomplished, doing well. Phase two, things start going poorly um, as, a, as a result of his own actions. And then phase three, when he's in his sin, God gives multiple chances for repentance and restoration. And phase four, God deals with him based on the decisions he made with what he was given. So that, keep that in mind as we go through this. There's four, four phases here. And I believe we're all at different stages similar to Saul. It's not necessarily linear like Saul's path. Right? Saul is kind of easy to follow, which is good for us. Unfortunately, we often go through multiple cycles <coughs> or periods where we're close to God, we run into some trouble, we backslide, we have some issues, then God's so merciful, we get right again, 
Um, and that's the good news. God's merciful here. So that, that, that's the takeaway here. Um, we can help each other stay on the straight path. And we can all improve and get closer to God. Uh, we can be doing well on the outside, but on the inside, we're, we're having trouble. So First uh, John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that, let's take a look at some examples from the life of Saul and be thinking about how you can apply this to your own lives and awesome talks too. Alright, so phase one, as I mentioned, Saul started off strong. And we're going to quickly go through some points here, um, what, what I saw about Saul and how he was doing well. So the first thing is he obeyed his father. Um, this is such an important aspect uh, for young people and also for all of us that are under any kind of authority, which is everyone. Um, and we see it in the Bible with Joseph, David, and also Saul. And if we can't obey our earthly fathers or other authorities, then how can we obey our Heavenly Father? Um, so our attitude here on earth, you know, that, that, that's going to largely dictate how we walk with the Lord. And uh, we know our earthly fathers aren't perfect, um, but God put them in a position of authority. And if we have a rebellious spirit with those in authority, we're, we're going to do the same with God. There's, there's no way around that. So specifically, this is what the Bible says about Saul. In 1 Samuel 9, verse 3, And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. His father could rely on him to handle tasks that he was given. So I want to let's all ask ourselves, can your father, boss, husband, or any other authority rely on you? If not, why not? Do they go to someone else uh, when they need help? Uh, we can start working on this, and God will give us strength to improve. So this is something we can work on now. We know that God promises blessings when we obey our parents. Ephesians 6, 1-3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So for having issues in life, maybe, you know, maybe we're not obeying our parents. You know, we're, we're waiting for that blessing, and God promises it here. And uh, we all have authority over us, like I said. Uh, you know, I, I think if we work outside the home, we have a boss, and uh, you know, we're under authority there. And, and look what the Bible says about um, work specifically. 1 Peter 2.18 Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And I looked up forward. One of the definitions of forward is unyielding. And so those in authority can be tough at times. But we know God's also tough, right? He gives us tough love. And I can tell you from experience when dealing with a tough boss, it's easy to grumble, complain, and rebel, you know, especially if it's a legitimate tough boss. But God says we have no excuses and should still be in subjection. Having a good attitude can help us endure a tough situation because that's how God wants us to respond. Okay. Uh, on top of that, um, Saul was uh, obeying his father. Also, he's a hard worker. And we continue to look in 1 Samuel. It says in 1 Samuel 9, 4-5, And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha. But they found him not. He's still looking for the asses. Then they passed through the land of Shalom, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found him not. And when they were come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. So this wasn't just a, you know, go throw it in the trash. I mean, that's important, but, um, you know, it wasn't a quick trip. It was actual work, and Saul was willing to do it. And the fact 
that the Father gave him a task like this shows that he trusted him with important things that actually made a difference, right? This helped his father out. Our fathers and other authorities should be able to hand us jobs and responsibilities that take the burden off of them. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So if you've got a task, you know, give it your all. And, and that goes a long way. God sees that. <coughs> Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord we shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for we serve the Lord Christ. So we're, we're working, we're not just working for our authority here, we're, we're doing it unto the Lord. So we should approach every task with zeal, and this means everything. God is watching and will give you bigger tasks as you grow. This is something we can all work on starting now. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed if it seems there's so many things we need to fix. Uh, you know, even, even with our authorities, if we have issues there. But if we start small, God will, God will help us move forward. So you can say, today I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this one little thing. God, help me. And, and he'll give you the strength to do more. Okay. Uh, Saul also understood the different levels of authority and the difference between, between them. So as we see later, this will change, but at some point, Saul understood that the man of God was to be respected and dealt with in a special way. So 1 Samuel 9, verses 7 and 8 says, Then Saul said to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels. There is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. Of course, the man of God needs to be walking in the ways of God. And the Bible condemns wicked leaders and God judges them harshly. But Saul, at least at this point in his life, respected Samuel and his position as a spiritual leader. And we'll see that change <coughs> dramatically later for Saul. Or another good thing Saul had going was that he was humble. That's in the sermon title. That's, that, that's a big one here. So it's very important because pride is one of those sins that can sneak in even when we're doing well, right? I mean, it, it tends to come, come in that case. And you might start thinking you're better than others or don't have anything to work on, right? You, you, know, you look at your neighbor, you say, I'm, I'm better than that person. Mm -hmm. And you can get prideful. Uh, but if we're properly humble and have the correct view of God, it should be obviously that we're not great, right? Um, and if anyone here thinks they're great, you know, come talk to, <laughs> talk to someone after church. We'll, we'll tell you otherwise. Um, a group... <laughs> Full of humble Christians can accomplish so much when working together. Amen. We we truly don't deserve everything God's given us. So I mean, if that doesn't humble you, okay. Regarding Saul specifically, after Samuel tells him he'll be king, he replies in First Samuel nine twenty one, and Saul answered and said, "Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me?" <coughs> Now his family, there's some debate here, but his family might not have actually been the least of all the families. But he had a humble view on life. And when given such a high position of authority, he really wondered if he was worthy of it. And later on, when Samuel was going to officially appoint him king, Saul hid himself. First Samuel 10, 20 says, And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, 
he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stock. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. <coughs> so we can see that Saul was humble at this point and didn't think that he was better than everyone else. And uh, side note, interestingly, some of the commentators think this may have been a false humility. So I don't know if you guys looked into that at all, but um, I think it stems from the kind of the binary view of things, save versus unsaved, good versus evil. They say, oh, Saul, Saul evil. You know, they, they don't. They, they can't see that he was going good at one point and then and then went bad. Uh, so we know that he could have genuinely been humble and loved the Lord at some point and just ended up this way. Um, and, and I actually think that's the case, and this verse is what makes me think that. 1 Samuel 15, 17, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? So you know Samuel knew him, saw him, and, and thought he genuinely thought he was a little in his own sight at some point. Okay, the Bible warns us all about pride. I just picked a couple here. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore God, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And then Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. And that's definitely true of Saul. Alright, the next point I want to focus on is Saul's position. God set him up in a choice place and blessed him. And so just Put yourself in Saul's shoes. Imagine how he felt. He's just out doing the task for his father, looking for his father's asses, and all of a sudden he gets to eat with the man of God. Not only that, but he's placed in the cheapest place among all the guests. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 9, And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the cheapest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, or which I said unto thee, set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder, and that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee, and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And everyone here in this room has been blessed beyond measure by God. And we've gone through tough times, and we might even be going through them right now. But God's lifted us up and put us in a special position. And we're, we're not only saved, but I believe God's given us so much truth here, more than most, most Christians have, I think. And not to mention the earthly blessings, right? Not everyone has great parents, children, siblings, spouses, etc. So we should just praise God for all he has done for us. Amen. All right, the next point is that the Bible says Saul turned into another man and God gave him another heart. And when things are going well, we're walking with the Lord, reading his word, cleaning things up. It's oftentimes obvious to others. The change can be so dramatic that some might say we're a completely different person. And this is what happened with Saul. First Samuel 10, 6-9, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'll come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice, sacrifice of peace offering. Seven days shalt thou tarry, till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those things 
came to pass that day. It also says in Ezekiel 36, 26, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. So sticking to the theme of imagining our own walk with God, uh, do we have the type of heart that Saul had at this point? Are you changed? Or do we have a stony heart? Are we really walking in the knowledge that the Lord has given us? Have we put away any sinful habits that we had in the past? And the Bible says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice how David asked for a clean heart and a right spirit. If you need things to change in your life, cry out to God, and he will hear you. Additionally, we can pray for anyone that's backslidden, that God will bring them to repentance. Okay, ask God for it. Pray to God. Right, the next point is that Saul, at this time in his life at least, was around godly people. And at the beginning of his time as king, Saul had the right people around him. Notice in 1 Samuel 10.26, the Bible says, And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. As we know, your friends say a lot about your walk with God. Familiar verses, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And also Proverbs 13.20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And, and we'll notice, specifically, Saul was close to Samuel at the beginning of his reign. And it's not a coincidence that when Saul started going bad, his relationship with Samuel crumbled. And we'll, we'll look more about this later. And we can see this in our own lives with those that aren't following God. And we naturally just drift away from them. I'm sure you guys have all experienced that. Okay, this next one, uh, this is a huge contrast to... Uh, before and then after, but Saul at this point, he, he had people that were against him. He had haters, and he still held his peace. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 10, 24-27, And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom, and wrote in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. And this is completely different from the Saul that we see later. You guys probably know he, he kind of went through that javelin <laughs> phase, I guess, where he's every single time someone's doing something and he's trying to kill him with a, with a javelin, right? I mean, it's completely different. Uh, even his own son. And the pro Pardon me? Bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And so when given power, it's easy for leaders to be harsh with those under them. We see it with government and other leaders. And there's another example of this, um, of, of Saul holding his peace. First uh, Samuel 11. 11 through 13, and it was on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch, and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. So it was a big victory for the Israelites. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day. For today the Lord hath brought salvation in Israel. Again, 
contrast this with Saul's behavior later in life, you can see that his head was in a completely different place. It's kind of like you said, maybe, maybe bipolar. Okay, another good thing about Saul is he had righteous anger and was moved by the Lord. We just looked at how Saul held his peace at times, which can be a good thing, but there is a time to get righteously angry, as we see throughout the scriptures. So 1 Samuel 11, 1-7, gives us an example in Saul's life. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jebeshgilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes, and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then, if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Then came the messengers of Gebeah of Saul, and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings. And his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell, upon the fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. So Saul's anger in this case was correct, and he moved and motivated the people, and God gave the Israelites a great victory. And we know God himself is angry at times. Psalm 7:11. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. We know Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, and there's a time for anger. And early in his life, Saul seemed to have the correct balance: when to, when when to get righteously angry and when not to. All right. So those are kind of the good good things that I saw. There's probably other examples in the first part of Saul's life. Uh, but then things went bad for Saul, as we know. So I, I'm thinking of this as phase two. If you think about it in your in your mind, and now we're going to look at a number of examples where things aren't going great. And I mentioned this earlier. Unfortunately for us and to our shame, we can go through this phase in our lives multiple times. Um, it, it'd be nice if we just got right with God, obeyed his commandments, and we'd be in a lot better shape. But unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a cycle. So um, you've probably already been through each of these phases multiple times. Um, but as, as I was doing this study, it, it made me think, um, wouldn't it be nice if we just didn't backslide? <laughs> you know, we just kind of stayed, stayed going straight. Um, it'd be a lot easier. And, uh, you know, we backslide a bit, and then we get to the point where we think, wow, this is, this is pretty bad. I should probably repent and read the Bible and get right with the Lord. But we know that already, right? So we can, we can get ahead of this. So I'm encouraging us all to do that, myself included. Okay, so the first example in phase two here when things are going badly is that Saul was no longer humble. And so maybe it was because he was lifted up into a position of authority. Things were going pretty well. He had some victories. People seemed to like him. And, and for whatever the reason, he, he got proud. He seemed to take credit for a victory that his son Jonathan had helped bring about. In 1 Samuel 13, verses 2 to 4, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan 
It says, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, that Israel also was had an abomination of the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So you see, um, Jonathan had done it. Saul may have gotten credit here. Uh, Saul was also filled with envy at David's success, as we know, and his pride caused this. 1 Samuel 18, 6-9. And it came to pass, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Okay? The next point I want to touch on in phase two here, when things are going poorly, is that Saul lied constantly. So he just had a problem telling the truth uh, later on in his reign. So, and I want to start this by saying, as I was studying this, there seems to be a link between pride and lying. Mm-hmm. Even the general characteristic, general characteristic of pride is, I'm better than you. And we know that's, that's often a lie. As, as I said earlier, you're, you're not better than anyone. We're all sinners, and uh, we all need a Savior. So even if we think we're doing better, we're, we're not better than anyone else. An example of this link between the two is Satan. And we know that Satan's the father of lies. It's John 8, 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. As we know, Satan was also very prideful. Isaiah 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Ezekiel 28, also speaking of the devil, says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. So I thought this might be an interesting future message to look at. Maybe someone's already looked at it. The ties between pride and lying. You can definitely see Saul as an example of this. Saul lied a number of times, but was just focused on a couple. Uh, First, Saul promised his eldest daughter (coughs) to David to marry. Uh, So 1 Samuel 18, verses 17 through 19. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistine be upon him. So Saul is also deceitful, which we're not, I mean, we're not even getting to that. There's, there's a ton of examples. But And David said unto Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathite, to wife. So he, he went back on his word there, for sure, and he did it with his second daughter a bit, too. Um, 
And Saul also lied about pursuing David. So he's trying to kill David. This is in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 6. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I'll commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord brought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. For for them wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause. And here, 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 here it comes. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul sware, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And we know that was a lie, because Saul continued to try to kill David, as we'll see. And so the application for us today is that we should be truthful and not tell lies or deceive our words. My brother Mike has had messages on the topic and helped make it clear we should have no guile. If we find ourselves lying and deceiving others, and you might think, oh, it's just a little bit, um, but that means we're not right with God. The Bible says of our Lord Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Okay. The next topic, and the, remember this is still phase two when things are going bad for Saul, he made a lot of poor decisions and blamed others. So we all sin, I, I think we all agree here, we make mistakes, we make bad decisions. Uh, the correct thing to do is to own up to our mistakes Amen. and take accountability. We see this with David a number of times in the Bible. For example, when he sinned by numbering the people and God was angry with him, look at David's response. We'll contrast this to Saul's a bit later. 2 Samuel 24.10 And David's heart smote him after they had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that, that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So you see David, David's heart, he's saying, I have sinned greatly. He's not minimizing it. And he's begging the Lord, I beseech thee. And he says, I have done very foolishly. So he's not minimizing what, what he had done, which we tend to do. Right, contrast this with Saul's response after sinning. The Philistines were gathered together against the Israelites, and Saul was waiting for Samuel to arrive. We're probably all familiar with this story. 1 Samuel 13, 8-12. And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And look at Saul's response. Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. Now I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. So notice how Saul's blaming everyone else. He said the people were scattered. He even blamed Samuel. 
he didn't come within the days appointed, and also with the Philistines. And so he blamed everyone else and did not acknowledge his own actions. He tried to justify himself by claiming he was just trying to make supplication to the Lord and that he had good intentions. Another uh, instance here is when Saul disobeyed God and did not destroy the Amalekites. And we can guess what Saul did. He, he blamed others. 1 Samuel 15, 20-21. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So he, he, he said, I did it. I was right, but blame the people. And then he tried to make an excuse and say, it's for the sacrifice. So he, he's trying to, trying to clean things up without taking responsibility for his own actions. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So here in this room, we can examine ourselves and make sure we have owned up to any sins or mistakes we have made. Are we blaming others and not first clearing up things with God for our own actions? All right, next point is the people around Saul were discouraged and fearful and distressed. So due to Saul's erratic and dishonest behavior, the people around him were fearful and stressed out. And this is, we, we can see that when we're not walking right with God, it, it impacts others. So 1 Samuel 13, 5-7. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched at Hikmash, eastward from Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So contrast that to before, when the people were filled with the Spirit, and, and, and he motivated them to go out. Another uh, point here is that Saul at one point made an oath, cursing any man that would eat food until the evening. And in 1 Samuel 14, verse 24, it says, The men of Israel were distressed that day. That means they're stressed out. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And as we know, Jonathan ends up eating some of the honey. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eats any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if happily, the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For there had not been now for had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. So even though the Lord helped win a victory in the battle, Saul's poor decision and rash oath prevented a greater victory and caused the people to sin. So this is an example of taking something not required by God. Right? God didn't say, don't eat anything. I mean, it's like, it's like a football game, you know, not... 
eating or drinking before the game or something like that, right? <coughs> Doesn't make sense. Um, and it actually caused the people to sin. Saul was even willing to kill his own son just to uphold the vow he had made. And that wasn't even a commandment of God. And as we know, there's many examples of this, but the Pharisees in the New Testament often did this. Matthew 15, 9 says of the Pharisees, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's what Saul, Saul was doing here. All right, the next point, um, we're still in phase two. Saul's going, going bad here. Um, God did not have respect for godly authority. So remember before, he, he knew Samuel's a man of God and, and treated him in such a way. Um, but now, um, Saul's completely changed. He even goes so far as to kill the priests for a perceived wrong that they did. 1 Samuel 22, verses 11 through 16. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob. And they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. In answer, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as, it, as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, a hymn like thou, in all thy father's house. And then, just look at that response. I mean, it's a perfectly logical explanation. I didn't have anything to do with this. And you know, not only does he not, not believe him, he says, You're going to die. And, and um, they, they, they pretty much killed everyone then. And Saul's sin shows us how far a lack of obedience to God can take us. We can go from a healthy fear of authority to wanting to get rid of it entirely, not having any authority at all. Our next point is um, God was not communicating with Saul anymore at this point. And you may recall that when Saul was doing well, the Lord gave him a new heart and moved him to action at times. He was filled with the Spirit. Now the Lord is not guiding him. In 1 Samuel 28, verses 4 to 6, says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together, and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. And we can become distant from God by not praying, reading the Bible, and through our own sin. Micah 3, 4 says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Okay, um, next point, remember, in the beginning, Saul surrounded himself with godly people, people whose hearts were touched by God. Um, now his godly friends were sad and distant, and he surrounded himself with wicked people. 1 Samuel 15, 10-11 says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So Samuel and Saul were close, and it grieved him when Saul was backslidden. 
and he cried all night. 1 Samuel 15, 34-35 says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to give of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. And when someone we love is in the state that Saul was in, we often have to separate. And that doesn't mean we're unloving, and we can mourn as Samuel did for Saul, try to win them back to the Lord. And uh, the, the final point here is that wicked people, however, will still fellowship with the backslidden. For Saul, an example of this is Doeg the Edomite. As you saw earlier, Saul slew the priests. This was with the help of Doeg, who fed Saul information about David. 1 Samuel 22.9 Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And Doeg actually handled the killing of the priests. And so there are wicked people that will encourage those that are in backslidden state, and this often keeps them from repenting. No one with Saul, you know, maybe think, hey, hey, I might be wrong here. Okay, so that's phase two. It's going to go a little quicker here. But phase three, this is, if you recall, God's mercy when Saul's in that state, when he's in that backslidden state. So God, through David, showed Saul great mercy when he was in this state. And there's a situation we're probably all familiar with where David cut off the corner of Saul's robe instead of killing him at one point. 1 Samuel 24, 5. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servant with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and cried, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also rose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. He then speaks to Saul about how he could have killed him but didn't and how he hasn't done anything to Saul to deserve to be pursued. The Bible goes on to say, if you jump down to verse 16, And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. So Saul clearly was feeling something there. He, he, he had some remorse here for what he was doing to David. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good. Or as I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And so we find out later, Saul still pursues David, even after seeing the errors of his, of his ways. And it seemed like he really did see that he was, he was in the wrong. He was warned by God that he was in error, and he seemed to understand it, but didn't act on it. And so our application is there's anything we have in our lives that we know does not please the Lord. We should not be like Saul and just let it slide. God gave us a conscience and his word and others around us to help us bring these things to light. So if you, if you feel something, hey, this is wrong, that's, that's probably God telling you. It's wrong. It goes against his word.
Our response to these warnings and reminders is what determines the direction our lives will go. And we'll see that with Saul. There's another example of this. God was merciful again to Saul. And, and I'll set the stage for the other story. Saul was in a deep sleep, and David had the opportunity to kill him again and didn't. And afterwards, Saul seemed to understand that he was in error. So 1 Samuel 26, verses 21 through 25. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul is precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have killed the fool, and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord deliver thee into my hand today, but I will not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. You can see that it's implied that Saul did not stop pursuing David after this. Um, he said, I'll do, no more do thee harm. Um, but in 1 Samuel 27, 1-4, at least David still thought Saul was after him, um, and there, there wasn't repentance. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me and seek me, to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Naoth, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. So, you know, he had to flee before he, he stopped pursuing him, even after all the chances that the Lord gave him, all the mercy that David showed him. So it seems Saul never heeded the warnings from God, even though he received them. He didn't take advantage of God's mercy. And we here, we don't know when the Lord will come. It could be in any time, and we should have an urgency regarding our walk with the Lord. Revelation 3.3 3 says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And the Bible says elsewhere, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So there's an urgency there for us. Okay, this brings us to the conclusion here, the, the phase four, the aftermath. And we'll quickly look at how God dealt with Saul, I think, as you all know. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, 16 through 18. Then, Samuel, then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and has become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. And as we know, he lost the kingdom, and ultimately Saul died in battle. 1 Samuel 3, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 31, 2-6. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines 
slew Jonathan, Anabinadab, and Malchizedek, Saul's son. And the battle went sore against Saul. And the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul under his armor, <coughs> Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men that same day together. And that's a ter terrible end. I mean, you can just imagine, right? Um, his sons, he died. And uh, so it's a very tragic end for, for Saul. And we know that God gave us his word and the stories therein as examples. And he gives us both the good and bad. And Saul is a perfect example of this. So in closing, I want to just encourage us all, individually and, and as a church, are there areas that we can improve in? Is, is there low-hanging fruit that we can take care of right away, like today? If we make a small effort, God can deliver a great victory. And there's a couple more scriptures here that, that show this. Um, David's mighty men. Second uh, Samuel 23, verses 11 to 12. And after him was Shammah, the son of Ag, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. So that's an example. If we just do a little bit, the Lord can give us a great victory. And uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, said the following in 1 Samuel 14, 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So that's just another example. Just a little bit that we do. God can give us a great victory. So let's be like Shammah and Jonathan and take a stand and pray the Lord gives us a great victory. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, and these examples, God. And we thank you that your word is perfect, Lord. And we just pray that we would uh, take these warnings in the Bible, Lord, to heart, God, and that we would encourage each other and, and individually take accountability for our own actions and get right with you, Lord. And we pray for anyone here, Lord God, that needs help with something, Lord, that you deliver them mightily. In Jesus' name, amen.